You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen and good morning. Today we continue our series, My Prayer Life Could Be Better. And I serve as the college pastor here. And so one thing about college students is that oftentimes they give their houses funny names. Uh, When I was in college, one of my friends lived, some of my friends lived in a house called the Zoo, which was difficult because we never knew if you were going to the Cameron Park Zoo or to this house, the Zoo. Uh, A college student told me this week that their house is called the Litter Box, which sounds stinky, right? I mean, that's a strange house name. Uh, There are some college girls in our church. Their house is apparently called NBA, No Boys Allowed. Uh, And then finally, one of my friends said that when he was in college, well, of course, the Temple of God has the Holy of Holies. And so the nickname for their house was the Brolies of Brolies. And that was their house name. Sacrilegious, silly, I don't know. But this is what you do with your house. Uh, Oftentimes in college, you give it a nickname. You might be the title of your group chat. It's kind of what you identify as. There's a national prayer leader who once said, the owner of the house gets to name the house. And God has nicknamed his house the house of prayer. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says that his house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus reiterates that when he calls the temple, his house, the house of prayer. He could have nicknamed it all sorts of things. It could have been a house of preaching, a house of worship, a house of missions, but what God chose is a house of prayer. And of course, I'm not saying that we should preach less or worship less or do less missions. I'm simply saying that if God in the Old Testament and the New Testament calls his house this nickname, the house of prayer, we should take note of that. Also in the New Testament, we learn that our bodies, our soul becomes a temple for the resting place for God. The spirit lives in us as a temple. And so if that's true, then it's not just a building that should be nicknamed that, but it also is for me that I should be a house of prayer in my life when no one's watching, when other people are watching. If you were to give your life a nickname based upon what you prioritize, what would it be? What would we nickname Highland if we looked at what we prioritize? Would it be a house of prayer? It's interesting that the disciples had Jesus with them and they could have asked him any sort of questions And perhaps they did, but the one that was recorded for us was not, Lord Jesus, teach me how to preach or teach me how to do missions or teach me how to mobilize in some sort of movement. No, it was teach me how to pray. That's what they asked. That was what we read about. And so in the spirit of being a house of prayer, let's open our Bibles again to the book of Matthew. And if you've been around for a few months, you know we've been in this book quite a bit. We're in Matthew chapter seven. That does fall right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we have been in Matthew in a couple of series, both the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the semester into this prayer series. And we are sort of closing the loop, I believe, on the Sermon on the Mount. We left a couple of them open when we were in that series because we were coming to these prayer passages in this series. Matthew chapter seven, that's verse seven. That's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter seven, verse seven. It'll be on the screens as well. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? 
If you, earthly fathers, then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, heavenly Father, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The first thing, and really the main phrase that we're going to look at today, this morning, is gonna be on the screen, permission to ask. We have permission to ask. If you're taking notes or if you just scribble things in your Bible, maybe right there next to Matthew 7, you need to write, we have permission to ask. What was the obvious key word in that passage in Matthew 7? Ask. For some, this is an easy thing, to ask God for things, to ask others for help. To ask is not a difficult task, but for others, it feels wrong to ask God for things. I know this because in my life, it's been difficult to ask at certain points. Even this week, an email came in from one of our college students that said, I'm struggling to ask God, to feel okay about asking God. It feels irreverent, it feels selfish. Charles Spurgeon, the preacher once said, like it or not, asking is the key to the kingdom. And even in our military, when a lower ranking officer is addressing a higher ranking officer, they approach them if they wanna say something specific and they say, permission to speak freely, sir or ma'am. Permission to speak freely. You and I have a permission to speak freely to God, to ask. I know this because Jesus just taught this in Matthew 7 and we just read it. We have permission. And what a wonderful gift that prayer is. It's this ability to have relationship with God in a personal way. And there's nothing more personal than conversation. I mean, you can think you know everything about someone famous. You might have read all of their Wikipedia page and all their books and listened to all their podcasts or all their music or seen them on TV. But until you have a conversation with them, it isn't actually personal. And I'm talking to you Taylor Swift fans, okay? The Swifties in the house, right? You know so much about them. But if Taylor Swift called you or texted you and said, let's become friends, let's start FaceTiming, let's start calling, you would say, I'd love that. It doesn't matter how many documentaries I've watched, how many songs I've listened to, how many 10-minute versions I've heard. Like, I want to listen and, and talk with you. Because conversation brings us closer to one another in a way that learning about someone is not like. And that's what prayer is. Prayer with God is not just learning about something or someone It's about a conversation. It deepens the relationship into the personal place. And so why do I think prayer is important? All of those things I just listed, but also here's why, because it works. (laughs) Prayer works. And we have 5,000 years of evidence to show us that up until this very morning, going back thousands and thousands of years, account after account of people praying and asking and God responding and answering and God listening. Many things have changed over these thousands of years, how we interact with God, how we worship, how we preach, how we gather together as churches. But prayer has always been a part of it. It's always been central. In many ways, it's been unchanged. It doesn't matter what time of a timeline you go to, doesn't matter what country you go to, what continent you go to, what culture you go to, what empire was running it, whether Christianity was accepted or rejected, prayer is there. So it must be important because it works and because it's always been a part of our faith. See, prayer isn't just talking up to the wall or sending up an email to God, hoping that he'll check his inbox on Monday morning. No, prayer is the power of God from this place of heaven that intersects with the world around us through this relationship. It's the power of God from the place of heaven intersecting with the world around us. 
And so there's no deeper level of trust. There's no deeper level of relationship than a permission to ask, the audacity to ask. You really know someone. You really love someone. You really trust someone in a relationship when you ask them for things. Pastor John has given us some really practical ways to grow in prayer over this series. I've loved how he's given us these really practical things to apply to our Monday, apply to the rest of the week, to start doing. And so we're gonna continue that today. Here are two steps to make your prayer life better, since that's what this series is called. Two steps. Step one is develop the habit of prayer. That key word is habit. Develop the habit of prayer. There's a couple of ways that I wanna suggest. Again, Pastor John's been giving us a lot of ways to develop the habit of prayer, so I'd encourage you to go back and listen or re-listen to some of those messages over the last few weeks. Here's one that I think is very important. Learn the value of quiet time before quiet time. Capitalized and lowercase matters in that sentence. Learn the value of quiet time, lowercase q, before you are learning the true value of uppercase q, quiet time. See, many of us, I was convicted of this about 18 months ago, that my life is very loud and noisy. I have four toddlers, very noisy and loud, a lot of requests, a lot of yelling, a lot of fun, a lot of singing. Uh, anytime I was you know, doing the dishes or mowing the lawn, I had a headphone in and I was listening to a podcast at 1.5 speed or, or I was you know, listening to music. If I was in the car, noisy things were happening. If I was in the supermarket, I was listening to things. So much noise input, so little quiet. So little solitude. We must embrace quietness before God. And for some of you, you might be new to the faith. You might not even be a Christian at this point. You're wondering, what is this thing, quiet time, capital Q? This is just what we mean when we say we go to the Lord, usually in the morning or at some point daily. We're opening our Bibles before him. We're reading a chapter or two. We're learning from the word. We're praying. We're spending time in prayer. We're spending time listening to God. This is a quiet time but often much of our quiet times even aren't quiet. There's noise happening, there's things going on. We're in busy places, we're distracted. The notifications are coming in. Learn the value of quiet time. Three other habits I think that you can apply to every single day are prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of asking, and prayers of listening. So for me, in my prayer journal, when I'm praying, I actually have sections in my journal that say, thank you, God, and then I bullet point things that I'm thankful for. Some of them are in this season. Some of them I write down every day. Other things are from yesterday or things that I'm excited about and thankful for today. Then I have a next section which says asking God, praying for this. So what am I putting before the Lord in request? And I literally write those things down. And then having time to listen to God, maybe putting a five-minute timer on your phone and just pushing out all the noise or a 10 minute timer on your phone and just listening in quietness and in stillness before God. These are important habits to develop. And building these habits of prayer brings something really critical that we need and it's encouragement. This life is difficult. Finishing the race faithfully is hard. We need encouragement daily. It's important. And this is why the habit of prayer matters so much. My oldest daughter is Ember, and she is a five-year-old kindergartner. I got her permission to talk about her today. Don't worry. I'm a good dad. And um, so she, at least I think I am uh, in this case. And um, so she said, uh, we, were, we, we were in the line to drop her off at her school, just me and her. And it's that long line, we're just kind of talking. And I started to encourage her. This is last week. Just saying, you know, Ember, I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. Uh, you're such a, a smart girl. You're such a good leader being the oldest. Thank you last night. We were at the fair. Thank you for being a good leader last night for your siblings, for, for you know, listening and, and leaving when it was time to leave. You did a great job. And I looked back in the rear view mirror and I could see kind of this 
interesting face on. It was kind of scrunched, and I wasn't sure how she was receiving it. And I said, you know, Ember, are you okay? And she said this, I like when you encourage me, Daddy. Will you do that again? Oh, exactly. All of us have a father, have a dad, who loves to encourage us. And we need that. Build the habit of prayer. We need to be encouraged. Step two, mature your prayers from a life of habitual to powerful. It's not just about developing habits. It's about graduating them and maturing them into power. As I already said, prayer is participation with the power of God. And I want to say today as a warning, it is possible to have strong habits of prayer without the power of heaven behind those prayers. Millions of people pray before meals. Many football games begin with a prayer over the loudspeaker or have prayers happening in the end zone. It's even possible to be praying daily, habitually, but to not be accessing the power that prayer can bring. This is possible. It's a warning. It's something that we should consider about our prayer life. Yes, build the habits, but have we matured them into powerful prayer. So how do we do that? How do we mature our prayers from just habitual to powerful? I believe there are many ways to do this, but I'm just gonna give you a few today and I'm gonna signal them with some different hand gestures. The first being a tight grip on purity. So a closed fist like this, a tight grip on purity, a release of pride, an open hand, and then a persistent asking, a knocking. Tight grip on purity, release of pride, persistent asking and knocking. The first, that tight grip on purity. I wanna give you two scriptures uh, to speak to this today. The first comes from Proverbs chapter 15. It'll be on the screen behind me. Chapter 15, verse 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. As we talk about purity and gripping purity, do you know that the Bible teaches us, we just read it, that not all of our prayers are heard. And so walking in impurity, excuse me, walking in purity in the way that God has designed, doing that inclines God's ear to hear and respond when we ask. But the negative is walking in impurity places distance between us and God's ear, according to Proverbs chapter 15. It's also in the New Testament in James chapter five. It's actually the very end of that passage that Jessica had us read at the beginning of this gathering. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful. The key word for us is I wanna graduate my prayers into power. So the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so Christians, perhaps you've been asking and asking things of God and praying habitually, but not seeing breakthrough. And I wanna say a disclaimer. There are all sorts of reasons that might be the case. This is not the only reason. So please don't hear that. But one of the possible reasons that we should consider is the conduct of our lives. Is your life one that honors God, that lives for his ways? Or is it one that dishonors God, that gives into the flesh, that doesn't submit to him as the Lord? It's no surprise when we read the New Testament that we're commanded to be filled by the Holy Spirit. That's true. To be filled by the Holy Spirit is something that we should, we should do. And therefore, if we can be and should filled by the Holy Spirit, it's also possible to be emptied of that Holy Spirit power. The, Holy, the, the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit this way when it says that the Holy Spirit, you can quench the Holy Spirit, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And Pastor John preached a sermon on the Holy Spirit this past spring. And he said this, 
You have all the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? You have all of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? For impure living is the quickest way to drain the power of prayer in your life. No matter how hard you pray, no matter how regularly these habits of prayer happen, a powerful prayer life flows out of a heart that is pure before the Lord. The second thing is, is we, if we gripped purity, we release pride. We release pride. You'll reach a point in your life sooner or later where you will no longer be able to do life on your own ability. Oftentimes, young people haven't figured this out yet. Uh, where we have a certain capacity, we, we think that we can do everything. We, we've been able to do everything that we needed to up into a certain point in life, but we all reach a certain capacity when without God, we just can't do it any longer. I, mean, I know ministries and pastors and missionaries and preachers and churches who can be successful in ministry in some ways, but not depend upon God. And this is pride. This is something we should desperately avoid and be aware of. We must come to the point where we say as individuals, as churches, as leaders, as fathers and mothers, I need God. Because self-sufficiency is sabotage for our faith. When we just depend upon our sufficiency, self-sufficiency, it's sabotage for our faith, for our prayer life. And the humility of secret prayer these times where no one's watching, it's just you and God, hopefully daily, regularly, the humility of secret prayer is the antidote for pride. Because no one's watching, it's just you and God, it's carving out time for just you and God. And so if you're looking for ways to just, to release pride, it's that antidote of the secret, humble praying. One of my spiritual heroes, Janet Ross, sitting over here, recently said, you should spend time on your knees every day and kneel before the cross of Jesus saying this, God, I depend on you. I need you. I am not able to do this day without you. There's two biblical testimonies I wanna to bring to you to explain this release of pride. The first is King Asa, found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. King Asa is in 2 Chronicles 16. He's one of the kings of, of the kingdom, and, and it happens that a prophet comes to him and says this, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I want that. Lord, search the earth, strengthen me. I wanna be committed to you, strengthen me. That's what King Asa heard. But then the next sentence, he also heard, what a fool you have been, King Asa. Why was he a fool? At this time in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel had been split into two camps, into two nations, the north and the south. And they were at odds. They were fighting. They were at war together. And because of that, King Asa was the southern king. And so it was his job to strategize, protect, and, and to do what was best for his kingdom. And so he came up with a great strategy that he would take the gold and the silver from the temple. He would bribe a third-party nation. They would put pressure on the north, and then that would relieve the pressure that the south was feeling. A great strategy. I mean, they could teach this in like commander-in-chief class, right? I mean, this is a great idea. Take money, pay off your enemy over here so that they attack your enemy up here, and that'll make it easier on you here. But it was all from himself. He didn't take it to God. He didn't take it to prayer. He didn't take it to the leaders of that Yahweh had established. It was a great strategy, but in the end, the prophet came and said, you did it wrong. You strategized yourself instead of depending on God. 
And so if you're taking notes, you'll see this on the screen for us to remember. King Asa had good earthly strategies, but was foolish in self-sufficiency. Even good strategies are foolish when we don't include and depend on God. They're prideful, even when it works. So be careful, release pride. The second example is, is in the positive sense, at least at one point in his life, King Solomon. King Solomon is 60 years prior to King Asa. This is in 1 Kings chapter three. And King Solomon is, is David's son. So he's just been established as the king. And God says to him, what do you want? He literally says, ask me and I'll do it. It's, it's a genie from Aladdin, right? I mean, it's literally this moment. Do anything, ask anything. And this is what Solomon says. God, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well. For who, listen to this, who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? When Yahweh heard that, he was moved. Solomon became wise and rich because of how moved God was. And so here's the second thing that you can see from these examples. King Solomon chose humility before God, which produced wisdom and understanding produced wisdom and understanding because he chose humility before God, depending upon God. So do that, release pride, be humble in prayer, depend on God. And a side note as we're in this section on pride, the phrase is I'm too busy or I'm so busy. It's a statement of pride. That's what it is. There's a, some of you know what the BSM is here in, in Waco or perhaps the BSU if you were growing up around that. It's just a college ministry on campuses. There was a, a leader by the name of Max Barnett who was at the BSU Oklahoma from 1967 to 2004. And I've learned a lot from Max in different settings and different books or different things that I've been to as a college minister. And Max has this quote that I think about often about busyness. If you're too busy to spend time alone with God in prayer, then you are busier than God intended you to be. You are busier than God intended you to be. Busyness as an excuse is a word that is prideful. Release pride. Third and finally, we need persistent asking. That's that knocking. We need persistent asking. In Luke 11, Jesus tells this incredible parable that God might not answer our prayers upon the first ask, but listen to this, if we annoy him long enough, he'll do it. This is what he says, because what he tells, he tells this story about a man who needs a loaf of bread, actually three loaves of bread. And so he goes, it's late at night, but he still needs that bread. He goes to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door. And in Luke chapter 11, this is what it says. Jesus is telling this story. The man's knocked on the door, asked for the bread. Verse seven of Luke chapter 11. Suppose one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Saying, keep knocking, annoy God, bother God, ask again. I know this is true because I have children. I've already mentioned that. My children upon first ask, oftentimes I don't say yes. Maybe I'm doing something else, perhaps even doing something for them. I love them. I'm doing something for them. They want something else, a snack or something. But if they just annoy me long enough, Ember, don't listen to this. If they just annoy me long enough, then oftentimes I will just do it because I'm just, I would rather that stop, right? Jesus is giving that illustration in a different way with two neighbors that we need to continue to ask persistently knock. Ian e. Bounds says it this way, heaven is too busy 
to listen to half-hearted prayers or respond to hasty, thoughtless calls to God. Are your prayers hasty? Are they half-hearted or are they persistent? See, the Bible is full of examples where outcomes were changed. Because people asked and prayed, things changed. And so the question for us today and in this series at this church is not, does prayer work? It's not, does prayer change outcomes around us? That is clear biblically, church history, and the testimonies of this church, that when we pray, things change. The question that many of us have today, and perhaps this is swirling through your mind, is how does God's all-knowingness apply to that? How does his sovereignty and his will apply to the reality that my prayers change outcomes? Did he know that from the beginning? Did it change his mind? These are big questions that people have. And I wanna say, I'm not here to answer that question today. And to be honest, I don't have the best answer for that. I don't know how God's will plays into the reality that prayer changes outcomes. But this is what I do know. It is God's will that you and me pray. His will is that we pray. His will is that we ask him for things. However, his you know, sovereignty and all the economy of heaven works into that, I don't know. But what I know and we can be confident in is that we should pray and we're commanded to pray. It's a lot like a vehicle. You know, I don't have the strength or the speed to put my family of six on my back and go 70 miles an hour down I-35, right? I just couldn't do that on my own. I don't have the strength and the power to hook a trailer hitch up to my back, you know, belt loop and just drive it down the highway. I cannot do that. But I have a vehicle that has a lot of power, horsepower and a trailer hitch and space and speed and all the things that I need. And this key is the thing that engages that power. And so you and I are not using our power or this church's power, our collective work or our goodness to change outcomes. No, we're saying God has given us a key to engage the power of heaven, the power of God to do these things. But if we don't turn the key, if we don't engage that power, then many times, oftentimes, things will not happen. We have permission to ask. We have permission to ask. And the second and final thing for us today is that asking leads to answered prayers. If we have permission to ask, we should rest sure today that asking leads to answered prayers. Back to Matthew 7, Jesus taught us in that chapter that when we ask, what happens? We receive. That was his first phrase, ask and you'll receive. God loves to answer the requests of his children. He loves to answer prayers. It's all over the Bible. It's all over our lives. And recently I've been very moved to pray specific prayers, not just general prayers or rhythmic prayers, but specific prayers because I'm seeing in the Bible people praying specific things and so we should do it too. I've heard a biblical rundown of praying like this. Abraham prayed and God healed Abimelech and his whole household. The Israelites enslaved in Egypt prayed and God heard them, came down and freed them. Moses prayed and the fire was quenched. Hannah prayed and conceived Samuel. Samson prayed and his strength was renewed. Hezekiah prayed and 15 years was added to his life. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three years and six months. Elisha prayed and a boy was raised from the dead for the first time in all of history. Elisha prayed for someone to be raised from the dead and he was. Job prayed And God gave him twice as much after his suffering than he had before his suffering. Daniel prayed and the mouths of hungry lions were locked. 
Jesus prayed and Lazarus was raised from the dead. Peter prayed and raised Tabitha from the dead. The church prayed and Peter was delivered from chains and from prison and showed up to their house. Paul and Cyrus were in prison again a different time. They prayed, an earthquake came. The dungeon shook, the chains fell off, jail's door opened up and the jailer said, I wanna get saved now (laughs) because they prayed. And let me just bring it to today to my family tree. My grandfather was a man with a family, two kids, going to work, working hard, but ending his day at the bars, drinking, smoking, not being there for his family. But my grandmother prayed. And when she prayed, he stopped drinking. He stopped smoking cold turkey, and he hasn't touched it in 50 years. He's a faithful man of God and a deacon in the same congregation for decades because my grandmother prayed and God heard. When I was an extremely sick toddler, I was in and out of the hospital. My symptoms were worsening. I was being told by doctors, Drew will never go to public schools. He'll never play sports. He'll certainly never preach in a room like this. My mother prayed and God completely healed me from chronic neutropenia. People in this congregation, in this section right here, 15 years ago, prayed over me to meet a godly woman to marry. And there sits Holly Humphrey, a godly woman, a servant-hearted, wonderful wife. People's prayers were answered in my life. This year, I've seen miraculous works of God amongst college students as I have prayed, as you have prayed, as we have prayed. God has been doing incredible things, incredible salvations, baptisms, pouring out his spirit in fresh ways, drawing people in, drawing students, young people to prayer. At one ministry event, we had a student crutch in on crutches because he had torn his ACL and someone started praying over him. And that on that space, he was completely healed in such a supernatural way that the guy who came with him gave his life to Christ because he was like, that guy was hurt and now he's not. And they threw his crutch on the stage to celebrate what God was doing. I'm telling you, when we pray, God does things. It happens. We need to pray. Too much is at stake if we don't. Don't tell me that, that God doesn't answer prayers. He does. Too much of heaven's power is untapped. God loves to answer prayers. And so as we close, I wanna ask you to ask yourself this question. Have I taken this issue to God in prayer or instead to everyone besides him? Perhaps you've vented about it to a friend or a loved one, to your small group. Perhaps you've taken it to your doctor, but not to God. Your therapist, but not to God. And hear me, go to your doctor, go to your therapist, but go to God. Maybe you've vented about it on social media. The Lord's even recently convicted me that just writing something in a prayer journal is not asking him for it. Are we asking God for things? We must ask, that's the command, that's the directive. We have permission to ask. And so what are you asking God for today? Perhaps a health issue, a mental health, a physical health, some sort of spiritual block in your life for a door to open up, a relationship to begin, a relationship to end, for a loved one, for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to unlock in your life or or, or to be used in your life. What are you asking God for? It's good to remember today, church, that it's all in God's timing. There are times where we pray and we pray and we pray and we knock and we knock and we knock and we knock and there's not an answer yet. That's the thing about persistent praying and asking and knocking. Perhaps today you've been praying 
10,000 times for the same thing. Today is the day to pray 10,001 times, to ask again, to say, God, I believe again. God, I wake up today and I believe that you give me permission to ask. Even if 10,000 times behind me, it hasn't been answered yet. Today is another day to have faith. Today is another day to ask, to pray again. But God recently showed me this, that asking for salvation is the one request that we have, the only request where you can guarantee God will answer yes immediately. For Romans 13, 10, excuse me, 10, 13, says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who call upon the name. So if you are praying, it's not gonna be 10,001 times before you get that yes. If you pray for salvation today, you receive a yes from God. And for those of you who have prayed 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 times, ask again pray again. Today is the day we have permission to ask. Let's pray.